Welcome to the AI Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Jaden Schaefer. Today on the podcast, we are super excited to be joined by John V. Palan, who is a senior machine learning engineer at Samsung Research America. Previously at Neon within Samsung, she led the development of conversational AI engines, enhancing human digital interfaces with emotional context extraction and advanced NLU. And she has a rich background in multimodal machine learning and generative AI. Super excited. Welcome to the show today. Thank you. Thanks, Jaden. Thanks for the intro. Um, what I would love to to kick this off with is, you know, asking you a little bit about your background. What got you interested in this space in general? And how did you kind of, I don't know, tell us a little bit about your journey about, you know, becoming a, a senior machine learning researcher at Samsung. Yeah. Um, so I started my career like right after undergrad, building the back end of a big data engineering product um, at a startup. And I realized that I loved startups. Um, okay. I loved, which is funny because I'm not in the startup right now, as you know. <laughs> but um, what I really loved was basically owning um, everything that I'm doing, sort of end to end. So understanding the big data space as a first job right out of college was very, it was new to me because, you know, even in computer science, um, in undergrad, you don't really know exactly what it's going to be like in the industry. Uh, so finally, when you like jump all in, it was it was a pretty um, nice experience. Um, but that got me interested in the whole big data space and then understanding the system development, computer systems, all of those um, areas, um, the data lakes and so on. And then really understanding that this is sort of the background for anything that comes above it, which is analytics and then going forward machine learning. And now it's AI. It's sort of the backbone of it. Of course, compute as well, but data is really what has enabled a lot of these algorithms to actually function the way that they do now. So um, the combination of being in like early 2017, 18 and like the startup scene with in the big data space kind of really motivated me to pursue this further, um, get a graduate degree uh, in computer science, kind of try to uh, do more research in NLP, in ML. Um, and I was eventually like graduated right out of COVID and looking for something that would fit that, uh, give me enough R&D exposure, but also be sort of like a startup environment. My team had this like, uh, it was we working on a VR, working on a very innovative concept and product and it had this entrepreneurial energy about everyone and everyone wanted to build and innovate so I think it seemed like the perfect fit um it was a lot of uh combination of like software ml nlp rl that sort of research and development um super cool super cool yeah I mean amazing um and I can just tell you know from talking to you you know you really have a passion for some of the stuff you're working on and what you're seeing Specifically, you know, what kind of inspired you to specialize in distributed systems and machine learning, you know, particularly in natural language processing? Um, tell us a little bit about, I don't know, your, your background, what got you interested in that? Yeah, I love language. Uh, I've always been this like language, math, logic nerd. And I loved yeah. solving, um, you know, I loved uh, looking at etymology of words and cryptic crosswords and things like that and how like styles of languages um, really work. Um, and so when I was like studying um, math and computer science, um, it sort of automatically drew 
drew me to the field of natural language understanding and processing. So like even things like um, pattern discovery in words, um, like nearness in embedding spaces. When I first learned, I was like, okay, this is amazing because it makes sense from, from a language, from a graphical, like etymological point of view, as well as from a mathematical point of view. And that was sort of what drew me into the field itself. Uh, but the potentials of some of the research projects that um, I worked on and like the research lab that I was a part of in grad school um, was uh, probably the most fascinating thing to me, which was um, initially in the area of uh, computational social sciences, digital humanities. Um, so basically building model, like weekly supervised models. This was again in 2019, 2018. Um, okay. So this is just about the time when BERT and these things, um, you know, um, attention and BERT had just sort of come up uh, mm -hmm. before uh, the advent of large language models as we now know. Uh, so it was still, you know, we were trying to reduce the amount of data that we were using for supervised data that we were using for some of these models. Um, and we wanted to identify hate speech uh, on social media and echo chambers in social media. Um, and I think that using everything that I loved, uh, like language, math, computer science, logic, and being able to actually put that to what I thought was a good cause um, in my you know, academic scope at the very least, was very fascinating to me. And I think that kind of drew me in more to NLP um, as, a, as a field in general. Um, with distributed systems, I think that um, the moment you sort of realize that, um, like I said, big data pipelines uh, that feed into some of these machine mo learning models require a, a very strong understanding of building the systems and architectures um, that uh, facilitate the training and um, data pre-processing. That's such a such a clearly important part of the job when it comes to building um, language models or uh, NLP-based models. So I think that um, that also really drew more and more of like my um, academic research and coursework in that space. Um, and, and then it was just part of work. Yeah. Super, super cool. Um, amazing. Yeah, just like, you know, you, you get like uh, a taste of it kind of in that and then it, it pulls you into the whole industry. Um, so interesting. Okay, tell me a little bit about Neon. I understand you're working on creating like hyper-realistic digital humans. What were some of the biggest challenges in making those, you know, digital beings as lifelike as possible? And also just like for the listeners that doesn't know, you know, what this project was, tell us a little bit about this project. Yeah, so... Uh, we call them digital humans. Um, so the idea behind Neons is basically an interface um, wherein um, you can connect with virtual humans over a 2D interface like you and I are talking right now, except I would be a digital human, for instance. Um, but the, uh, the hyperrealism bit is actually what we focus on, which is um, real-time hyperrealistic um, 2D visual um, characters that you can interact with um, and they're available uh, all the time so as in you know they're available on demand um and this uh that's the underlying idea um some of the biggest challenges as you asked is that when you're generating this is of of course this is all generative ai there's a lot of there's a visual component to it there's the audio component speech component to it and then of course the content the content of the conversation that's being spoken um when you're generating all of this um all the models that are running um, these um, have to be, the engineering challenges are massive. So they have to be um, performing inference at very high 
like very low latency, high speeds. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it's expensive. It requires um, expensive compute. So optimizing the models for inference there, um, as well as really um, even the quality problems, especially in the visual models. Um, the We're so used to seeing humans and interacting with humans that as human beings, we really perceive artifacts in um, human visual um, anatomy or any, any part of the face, any part of the body, behavior, um, mm-hmm. We're, we're very attuned to identifying issues with that. So um, the reliability of the models um, in terms of prediction uh, is actually super important. And at the end of the day, machine learning models are function approximators. We're minimizing a loss function. We're not saying it'll be zero for any any kind of ML models. So it's very hard right. to guarantee this. And so um, I think modeling those challenges of quality um, in a way that would be maybe solved with some uh, post-generation heuristics, um, you know, really identifying quality metrics, all of these things were and are, I think, some of the biggest challenges uh, in addition to the compute um, and, um, you know, system and engineering constraints that I mentioned. Okay, super, super fascinating. Um, specifically, you know, you mentioned kind of working on the emotional context extraction um and enhanced nlu for neons how do you see this technology impacting human computer interactions like in the future yeah it's so interesting that you asked that so um yeah so when we're talking like this um it's it's a different kind of format as far as podcasts go not all of them have the visual component to it but right right you realize that and and you know listeners do realize that this does add a different dimensionality or you know during the course of our interaction so it does give all of these uh not necessarily verbal cues but um you know the the behaviors the gestures so um that whole uh layer of human computer interaction that we would use with a virtual human as opposed to just a text-based interface is something that i think is a, a pretty strong um, impact as far as the way that we just interact with computers is going to be. So I, I think that, that that aspect of it makes um, interactions extremely personalized. Um, we, we can understand a lot more about, um, and by we, I mean um, an application that's running something like a digital human as a as the interface and not maybe a text-based chatbot you can make mm-hmm. the conversation a lot more empathetic or understand frustrate if it's in the say hospitality or customer service space um, understand frustrations of users because you can detect uh, emotional context of um, of mm-hmm. things like we know there are sentiment analysis models and emotional context understanding models. So those are all incorporated into the uh, understanding component of the neon. So basically, the neon can or, or virtual humans can understand this from a user's perspective, as well as um, you know things like sarcasm, satire. These things don't always they're lost in translation when it comes to text based. Right. So yeah. I think it just really elevates the overall human con- computer interaction um, interface itself. Um, uh-huh. Does that answer your question? Oh yeah, no, one hundred percent. It's so it's so interesting. Okay, my question for you is like, where 
where would you see these being like used? Like give us some use cases like customer support. Like when when are these going to be, you know, assuming they, they're deploying these, like what what's the best use cases you can think of for these? Yeah, um, interesting. So the, some of the, we've started some pilot use cases. So some of them are um, like one, you can imagine the usage in education sectors. Um, hospitality is, of course, a big one, like hotel concierges, um, especially yeah. when um, not not as a, it's, um, I wouldn't say that it's not like, oh, AI will replace humans that bit, but the, especially everywhere where there is a shortage of sort of, um, you know, um, staff or say, Somebody is not available at that moment of time, or there's a lunch break, or something like that. So yeah. it's, it just it's like instead of having a chatbot, you have something that's more um, visually uh, and more visually interactive. So that's, okay. that's one of those sort of use cases. Hospitality. Um, these are some of the sectors that we're targeting, like education, hospitality, mm-hmm. uh, healthcare. Okay. And, and like, what would that look like? Is it like a big, um, like a computer monitor with like a person's avatar on it and like a camera and then you go like talk to it and it can like tell you stuff like what, how to like, tell exactly. us about, you know, what that looks like. Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, it's exactly like that. So imagine like a computer screen or um, it's cloud native, so it could be on any screen, um, but uh, a phone or a computer screen or an actual TV screen um, we're, we're Samsung. So, you know, Samsung devices. Um, oh, perfect. No, no, no. We don't have that yet. But what I mean is that that's potentially sure. something that um, would be uh, interesting. Um, but yeah. the idea is that any display, um, and um, you interact with it via, um, you know, just conversation. Uh, okay. Like how I'm talking to you over a video call, basically. Okay. Yeah. So. so okay. Super. Super cool. So one of the things I think was probably a challenge for you in this and I mean you, you kind of like alluded to this a, a little bit yeah um so one of the um so the idea is that um you use a lot of so we have to basically model responses that drive a, a, a like we have to model um signals from a user from a from a virtual humans environment that can elicit a response or a control signal that can serve as a control signal to a virtual human, and then they can act accordingly. So um, based on the conversation that they're having, the context of the conversation, and um, you know the emotional triggers that that could have. Um, uh, emotional triggers is a strong word, but basically if it's a happy or a positive sentiment or a negative sentiment, that it could elicit a smile or a nod in acknowledgement these sort of control signals are then embedded in some sort of shared latent space. And then we use uh, uh, various, I mean, we've experimented with various generative models, but the idea is to really build parametric motion models to control um, facial and body movement. So you, you you have a parametrized body and face representation, um, like much like most, um, you know, you can imagine like a mesh or a uh, body model that's um, mm-hmm. modeled. Um, I can't, tell you exactly what, what it is that we use but um the idea the that, secret sauce. <laughs> the idea <laughs> that we uh we basically um we were able to generate um uh, sequences um that can understand um you know that can use control signals to drive um and effectively like animation se- sequences but kind of in a generative manner so the sort of models okay. that we use are 
um, GANs, variational autoencoders. I experimented with some stable diffusion, uh, with some not stable diffusion diffusion models that are used okay. uh, motion generation. Um, and really, um, things that would be, um, these are models that are, um, that would generate consistent motion for these um, sort of correlated um, uh, parameters of the body and face while uh, adhering to physical constraints of the body's anatomy. It's just, it's, mm-hmm. it's also, it's, it's, it's an important constraint because we're modeling the human body, so, uh, right. and human face. But um, these are some of the uh, main sort of models that we've been experimenting with and we use. So, so cool. Okay, so you're sitting here, you're kind of like on the cutting edge of all this incredible technology um, that you guys are rolling out right now. What I'd love to ask you is, you know, what are some of the most exciting advancements that you see coming in the field of multimodal machine learning? Yeah, um, well, I'm not biased, but digital human-based interfaces are definitely one of the ones. <laughs> Pretty cool. Yeah, uh, especially because they have the, the 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 potential to revolutionize a lot of different industries. Uh, yeah. Of course, I mean, this is such an amazing time for uh, AI research, development. We all know, I think most people who are listening to this are fans of um, following the latest research and 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 or are somehow affiliated with this space um, but, um so from an application perspective of course there's so many applications that can be built on top of like gpt4 of the world and their multimodal capabilities in healthcare sports so on um but in terms of the ex- advancements that i see from a pure research um and development perspective um that are slightly more near term like in the next year or two i think the most important ones to me seem to be um things that uh we're able to actually run these things more efficiently so especially the um you know 100 plus billion parameter uh, i don't know how many billion parameters there are in gpt4 uh we don't know that but um you know those uh, the that scale models with that scale uh internet scale data um during training, but also during inference, being able to run them with uh, much more efficiency um, during training to be doing it in a much more um, efficient way as well so that you minimize the amount of compute that's necessary. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Really running them on device, um, those are like that sort of optimization is is extremely important and probably a big field of research. Um, Reliable video generation, which um, there's, of course, some work on like text to video, um, animate anyone sort of models, but uh, reliability metrics, quality metrics, understanding um, that so that in an end-to-end way, we can have multi-frame scene generation with videos, with actors. Um, So really AI movies to some extent, pretty um, Mm. fascinating to me. Um, So that, because that's the latter is also a, there's a lot of areas of research there which because we work in that space we we're aware of the limitations so you mm-hmm. know it's not just another step on top of GPT-4 so I think that's another area of of um, exciting research for me um, yeah so so cool Jami this has been phenomenal having you on the podcast today sharing your insights I mean you guys are working on some really really cool stuff as we wrap this up uh, the last question I would love to ask you, um, 
you know, based on your extensive experience and everything that you're seeing, where do you see, like, what are some predictions you can make about the future? Where do you see the future of AI and machine learning heading, um, you know, going forward? Yeah. Um, so technically, like I said, there's so much scope to optimize models, to make them smaller, to make them cheaper to run, to make them more accessible. I think mm -hmm. one of the things that I wish that we can, there's, you know, there's the whole innovation, like I love uh, creative innovation, like I want to build, I'm an engineer side of me, but then there's also the sort of, um, I what I hope that we can do while the disruption goes on um, and that research is heavily funded in that space is in the context of uh, social sciences, in the context of bias and, and really reducing the, um, identifying and reducing the socio-technical harms of these algorithmic systems, right? Because mm -hmm. um, there is that aspect of things which is much harder to quantify and measure, but building the right tooling, making users more aware of the sort of biases some of these models could potentially uh, incorporate, um, uh, you know, not moderation, but just increasing awareness uh, it, instead of recklessness, I think is is an area of research that I hope sees more and more um, encouragement, um, mm -hmm. potentially um, an area of uh, 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 an area of improvement that's also necessary is um, to work with um, policymakers to understand so that everyone does understand the repercussions of certain you know certain um, mm -hmm. harms of using some of these models and uh, if if not mitigated properly. So I think that's definitely one of the main focuses and I, I i personally hope to contribute more to as well both from an open source space and um hopefully from a um more formal space um and yeah hopefully also another area is privacy i think a lot of these models especially depending on the internet scale data do leak information there's significant research to show that so I think yeah that's another another area that i uh do hope sees a lot of advancements in the future super super cool well Jambi, i'm super excited about everything that you're working on it's been great having you on the show today if people are interested in uh, getting in contact with you or following along on some of the projects that you're working on what's the best way for them to do that um yeah i think uh so we have um a website i can share it um and i think potentially check out my linkedin page i do share updates there um but yeah, uh, I'll... Okay, awesome. And to the listener, I will, uh, I'll drop links in the show notes to uh, the website. You can check out what they're working on. Some phenomenal stuff. Um, thank you so much again for coming on to the listener. Thank you so much for tuning in to the AI Chat Podcast. Make sure to rate us wherever you get your podcasts. And I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day.